We have um, our guest tonight for right now, the Art in Action of Letter Writing, is a, um, a letter writer of sorts and a storyteller, Dave Olson, out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And Dave, can you tell me about the two websites that I um, visited there? Can you talk about those two? I'm not sure the podcast one and the other one. Sure, sure. Well, I do a whole bunch of different writing and creative projects, and um, UncleWeed.net is kind of my home for all my creative arts and crafts I make, whether it be my writing projects or academic projects. UncleWeed.net? UncleWeed.net? Yep. Okay. And then um, I do a literary podcast called Postcards from Gravelly Beach. Mm -hmm. Just .com at the end of that. Or you can subscribe to it in iTunes, and it's just uh, like a a little audio show I make that I send out from time to time. It's just me doing some reading in a variety of locations and mixing it up with some music. And it was very cool. I, I actually listened to your London podcast last night, your, your podcast from London. That was very good. Nice. Yeah, I have a little portable recorder, and whatever, I do a lot of traveling, and so uh, um, I, I just go on long, insomniatic uh, strolls and, and love to find places where things were originally written, uh-huh. and I uh, kind of put in a little context. I did an early morning Jack Kerouac stroll in San Francisco one time where I found places from San Francisco Blues specifically on location and read from there. So I love my arts and crafts. Well, um, what is Gravelly Beach? Um, that was a place I had lived one time and uh, um, I did a lot of painting and that's kind of where the show started when I was uh-huh. living out there. It's um, near Olympia, Washington. Oh, I okay. went to uh, Evergreen College there. Oh, yeah. And I lived out uh, Steamboat Island Road. It's uh, kind of a little bit more of a countryfied stretch of the inlet. And I managed to spend a, a few months at this, uh, this beautiful location. Uh, rented this old trailer from, from uh, an old lady who went south for the, for the winter. And, and it was a lousy uh, place with a great location. It was really artistically inspiring for me <laughs> where I really kicked off that show series. And uh, as well as worked on the Letters from Russia project. That's very cool. Yeah. So, um, can you give us a little intro to this Letters from Russia? Um, how how you came about the whole idea, and what? And before we, then we're going to actually read excerpts from the. Um, what do you call it? A short story. You know, I or don't prose? really know what to call it. It's called it a project, for lack of a better a better name, because besides the writing, there's a bunch of paintings and some kind of book and paper craft that goes through it. But I call it a collection of letters because it doesn't really fit a short story. You're in, it's not really a novella, so I just say it's a collection of letters. That works for me. <laughs> that's that's what we're looking for. Well, actually, I wrote. Um, uh, well, the project started. I had, uh, I actually had a, an older brother who um, joined the the U.S. Uh, Navy, right? And I was really oh. surprised when when he told me this. You know, he called and told me he joined the Navy. I'm like, Canada has a Navy, and uh, you know, of course they do or whatever. But I was really surprised and really disturbed about this, and it, and so I started kind of thinking philosophically about what happens to people to sort of bring them in and get them to buy into this idea? Because my brother's a, you know, he's a peaceful, easygoing man. And, uh, but kind of psychologically and, and philosophically, what happens? Because he went through a whole time now in Iraq and, and sort of philosophically what happened to him. And I started, you know, studying um, literature, kind of looking at, looking at it in that sense. You know, I'm a big fan of the old uh, classic Russian novelists like Pasternak and, and Tolstoy, uh-huh. and so I kind of got this notion to, uh, um, to write something about it, make something out of it, and, uh, but it's really hard to kind of talk about these things being, you know, just another person here in this modern age, and so, to, and, you know, and I'm a storyteller, and I, um, so I kind of came up with this 
pretense, so to speak, of how I wanted to do it, mm-hmm. and an opportunity to really get some work done on it presented itself in my final um, quarter at Evergreen, where we did a week-long retreat called Poets and Philosophers Discuss Love and War. Uh-huh. And it was a great week-long retreat on a, on a lake, and it was really uh, gave me an, an opportunity to really sort out those, what those, those, those philosophical questions that people have to sort out when they're, they're in that situation. Oh, well, kind of gave it some framework, as well as a beautiful setting to actually go out and start to write each of the letters, which I wrote individually. Yeah. Well, what struck me, and I'll read the note to the readers that starts the, the piece out in a second, but, but what struck me was how um, you must have really had to place your mind in um, basically that soldier's boots who's writing as he um, crosses his way up to uh, Moscow and... And that Napole- I mean, I didn't really, I didn't know anything about the Napoleonic Wars and and that whole um, um, revolution. Well, well, I don't even know what it's called, but that whole like thing that happened up in Russia where they froze to death. Right, <laughs> I right. learned about this just reading for the story here. And there's a lot of great parallels actually with what's going on with this modern age kind of oh, war too. About totally. you know some of these same tactical errors. So I really took a lot of time to sort of sort out the well, history of it. So the whole the whole ruse would be believable. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, as I read it, I actually highlighted those areas in particular. I mean, you just could rip it right from our current, um, the U.S., uh, um, you know, little plural, whatever, that little thing we're doing <laughs> over there. But, but let's there. let's get, I'll get right to, uh, right to starting with the story here. It opens with, so this is Letters from Russia um, by you, David Olson. So you wrote this in the summer of 04. And yep. here's what you have in the intro. It's called the note to readers. So it sort of sets the pre the pretext. Is that the word for <laughs> yeah, for the story? Sets up my whole scam. Okay. Well, it's very good. Let me, uh, if you don't mind, or, or would you, no, DJ, you want to go for it? I can read it. Okay, go for it. Note to readers. What follows is a collection of letters, all by Ostens. Oh, that's a big word. Ostensibly, I practice. Oh, see, <laughs> you should have done it then. <laughs> Written by Henry Lafleur a cobbler in the French army during the Russian campaign of 1812, to Genevieve Vachon, his fiancée, in Paris. Hen- Should I say Henri? Because it's yeah. kind of French, yeah. 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 Henri's 14 letters offers his observations on the physiology of war, as well as discourse and personal sentiments of love on love, war, society, politics, and meaning of self. The accompanying landscapes give a sense of his search for solace and relief in the surrounding chaos of war. The letters were sent over an eight-month period beginning in Austria and moving through Prussia, Poland, and into Russia. First with battles in Smolensk and Borodino, then fires and pillaging in Moscow, and finally the well-documented November retreat. The final letter in the correspondence was sent on retreat near the Berezin Bridge at which at which location during three days much of the remaining French army perished into the icy river while attempting crossing of the bridge. Others were stranded in on the Russian side with the pursuing Cossack troops when the retreating French army destroyed the bridge behind them. As it were, the collection of letters, along with a variety of sketches and paintings, was found bound and stored in an attic trunk, as per Henri's written request before leaving Moscow. There is no further verifiable historical information to confirm Henri's return home, though regional folklore contends that he indeed survived and lived a long life in a small village near the sea with his dear love, Genevieve. So, um, 
what what struck me first of all one of the things that I learned in after reading this and then wanting to learn a little bit more about this November retreat and this whole endeavor was the huge numbers of soldiers and people who died. I mean, I think there were something like 600,000 collectively representing the French side. And out of that, they were left with like 20 or 30,000. It was pretty amazing. Left. That means like over 500,000 died. Yeah, the first time I ever uh, saw this this thing was uh, the whole like tragedy of this whole thing was in a graphical uh, map made by Edward Trufty. Well, actually, it wasn't made by Edward Tufty, but it was made by a French um, historian. And it basically shows, like, the number. It's like a, a graphic of the numbers of people from, and it, based on the geographic location and the timeline through the whole, like, that whole escapade, I guess, for lack of a better term for it. Yeah. And um, just, you know, and it had a little historical references to, like, oh, yeah, all these guys died in... And that's just the soldiers. I mean, I think I read maybe a million on the civilian side, but I don't even know how they represent or count that. It just blew me away, the sheer volume and numbers. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. And to think that the, the, the people retreated Moscow and basically left Moscow to the French and burning the city behind them. I mean, this was their beloved Moscow, and that just was the personal sacrifice that people sort of threw themselves yeah. into and, and uh, to sort of see that in, in, uh, in a historical light is really remarkable that we didn't really learn more lessons from that. Yeah, yeah, and what Henri himself, you know, questions is, God, this many people dead, what is it we're fighting for? What's it, what, what is it in the end? I mean, but one of the other things in the letter, and we'll start reading one in a second, is um, I found that you did a really great job where I almost completely forgot that this was not a real person. And you probably don't want me to even mention that because the whole idea is to suspend belief. <laughs> but um, I definitely felt the personal investment and the, the you know just his struggle and his feelings. But um, keeping in mind here that he, he had... Um, that these letters were found in, um, in a trunk in an attic. So... So Genevieve must have saved them. So let's see. Shall we start with a thought just for the say, you know, we probably don't have time to reach every single letter and talk about it. So I kind of was going with some excerpts um, and some summaries of the of the letter. But I want to also capture his um, his personality. So um, maybe what I'll do is on the first letter, I'm summarizing a little bit of it. But then I want to read one particular paragraph and um Anyone at any point can read what they want to shout out to. So his first letter is dated April 6th, 1812, and he notes that he is encamped near Vienna, Austria. Excuse me. Am I saying this right? Genevieve? Um, Genevieve. You you know, I I, I moved between Genevieve and Genevieve, and uh, and the name kind of came accidentally. I was trying to come up with a name, and when we were camping at Lake Crescent, there was a group of other students from some other horticulture program, and there's some girl, her, her name was Jean Viev, and I was like, ching, I'll take that name. <laughs> and all the, all the rest of the names, honestly, I came up with from uh, hockey players from the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and, and that word Shay is uh, C-H-E-R, is just kind of like a French way of saying dear, so I yeah. thought it would really, like, help disguise the lack, you know, uh, you know, by using the occasional word of French, it really adds that level. Yeah, of yeah they're like bookmarked in, uh, in the salutations and the endings of like a little <laughs> bit of French. 
Uh, but that's cool because if it were in French, I wouldn't have been able to read the whole letter. Yeah, so. yeah, it would have been a big problem for me to write <laughs> at that point. Did I tell you? <laughs> did I tell you how how I came upon your website was in search of this uh, way to connect a song that I want to play at the end of the show that um, I think is really great that I'll reveal to you later is. Um, was a song about well anyway whatever I just did I tell you that yesterday when I talked to you no no oh. yeah so we'll reveal it later but anyway excellent okay it's a super secret super secret because I'm gonna tease the listeners and make them hang on nice Cause, okay so chez Jean after all that Genevieve 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 Anyway, Help her out move there. on with the letter. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Whichever. I have only begun. I have only been gone for less than two weeks, but already I miss you more than I thought I would after many long months. We can only hope my duty goes so to goes quickly so to return to you soon. For this, we'll trust Napoleon's judgment. After a hurried wagon trip, I've met up with my unit in a beautiful part of Rus- of Austria. I've attempted a sketch to give you a sense of place. With the high mountain altitude come, va- come waves of late-blooming wildflowers, and then he paints a very flowered, beautiful image of the um, Austrian mountains, I guess the Alps. He then speaks um, to a bit of about, basically it sounds like preparation and his anticipation of the coming war. Is that what you would summarize that first letter as mm-hmm. yeah. okay but then this last um, paragraph is what I really wanted well the la- actually it's the last second to last big paragraph he states that even if we move into Russia we will surely be returning well before winter so he has a very optimistic view of what's ahead of him such a schedule will give me time to open up a cobbler shop of my own and marry you next spring I am glad we told your parents of our plans before I left though they weren't as surprised as we thought. Of course, send my regards and best wishes to them. But for now, I am bound by the wishes of Napoleon through the orders written for the day. The soldiers never question and maintain a sense of urgency to seize their place in history. This is Napoleon's skill, a genius ability, to motivate the troops with promises of glory, the, quote, the causes of the revolution, importance of spreading French culture and our civil code throughout a united Europe. I must admit some reservations about the need of bringing Russia into our grand republic, but I will leave such such decisions to more seasoned minds. I can only trust the motives are not driven by ego. So he's clearly... um, you know, he believes that other people would never lead him into... There's those parallels that you were saying here of already the, the trust that soldiers place in their leaders to not um, lead them, put them in harm's way or mm-hmm. needlessly. Um, so that's his first letter, and he continues on. Um, you and I and so many others will be the harvesters of the rich new country, rich in spirit, filled with light and truth. Lots of optimism and hope here. And then he closes with... Um, I am eager to live in this France, a France as ideal as we believe it can be, where the unjustness of class and privilege at birth is eradicated, where fair courts and laws bring sense and equality from the arbitrary whims of unfit monarchs. And he pledges his his, um, love again. Yours, Henry. And so that's the first letter. It just sort of sets up with his devotion. He's he's devoted to Genevieve and and his commitment to moving forward just because he trusts the leaders. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then not more than how many days later here? We've got April 6th. Two days later, he's <laughs> still encamped near, in, near Vienna, Austria. And um, with this, he says, um, again, he's focused on love um, for Genevieve and talks a little bit about his philosophy and um, a little bit about his thoughts on classism, society, and politics and the monarchy. Um, again, he says, Che Genevieve, again, I spent all day gazing at clouds while I wandered the camp, thinking of you and us, remembering long lunches of second-story cafes, peeking below at passers-by, da-da-da-da. And so, <laughs> how, would you, how would you paraphrase these early letters? How would you characterize his state and his perspective? Uh, there's a lot of optimism and, and, and wide-eyedness. Yeah, well, and I kind of needed that at the beginning, especially to kind of so I could have something to transition from. And you know, when you when you mentioned you know how compressed the time was, you know, when I really started documenting the dates, and and I, you know, was pretty familiar with the sort of overall scheme of the battle. I was really surprised to sort of see how quickly everything happened, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 tried to think, well, is this realistic that someone, well, one, you know, I don't even know if the whole thing at all is, is realistic. Some, probably someone who's uh, a, a, some studied professor would say, well, you know, no one's going to be writing like this, and this is treasonous speech, and how could he say mm-hmm. this, and people were trained to do this, or whatever. But, you know, in the, in the sense of, of the, the story, I really needed to sort of force him into questioning things right away, and, I need, and in order to do that, I need to sort of set up scenarios. Like, as you go, go along, you'll see, like, the other day, I was polishing the boots of a general, and da 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 da. Yeah. And so, um, and 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 that was the tricky part for kind of getting going on each letter was, uh, you know, I sort of framed out the philosophical points that I wanted to address and where it was happening. Right. But then I had to sort of squeeze in some structure for a narrative around it and kind of wrap it all up in really the space of a letter. And and on each one of them, you know, I went out on a hike with just that one piece of paper. And a different, you know, pencil or, or pen each time, and and sort of tried to, you know, really catalyze and, and build that tension. So it all went into that one, one short letter. But it it was a little bit strange to kind of think, well, would he really be thinking this, or would he just be thinking right from the beginning, like, what the hell's going on? So. Yeah. Well. Um that yeah, you can see, you know, definitely. I'd say these early letters are, you know, his expressions of love for her, his devotion to her, his optimism. While he he somewhat questions the cause, he trusts that it's not his to necessarily question that out loud, or you know, he's internally struggling a little, but it's not an overwhelming choice. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So on the eighth, uh, they've got that there, and then, um, and then on the. Uh, is it the 15th? Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, I guess uh, DJ Nan's going to read this one, but what starts here is it's the first, they finally march, begin the march to war. Yeah. So they've left their camp, and now it's really moving. So what do you got there, DJ Nan? All right. <coughs> Montcherie, Genevieve. Genevieve. Not so easy, is it? No, not. <laughs> we are on the move now. A tremendous, le- a tremendous length of soldiers on foot trudging with their packs and sleek polished weapons. Other plumed in comical, comical hats, proud on horses that seem indifferent to the rank of their riders and more impressed with their importance. Since my last letter last, the camp became a flurry of activity as we were ready to move through Austria quickly and on into Prussia, Poland, and then Russia, who continued to allow British ships into port despite ends blockade. 
Austria, now defeated again, will march along with us, with the Italians, Dutch, Polish, and more forces from 20 European countries unified under France. I wonder how they feel about their conscription by an enemy. But such things are not discussed. Dissent is grounds for persecution, persecution and ridicule. My aim is to avoid both, and thus consider my thoughts alone. My hope is N will not drag this campaign deep into Russia for my own selfish reasons. That of That's keeping Napoleon. <laughs> that of keeping me far away from your slender giving arms for any longer than absolutely needed for the great of the republic. It is you that is important to me. Yours, Henri. There he goes with his optimism again, Han, his love. Yeah, I like how he's getting all familiar with Napoleon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who does he think he is? <laughs> I know. I tell you. And then there we go with the, uh, what is it, coalition of the willing or the unwilling or the, I yeah. like that part <laughs> yep. there. That was a little, but it, but it gets even more blatantly, uh, and, and you know what, it's not just that you wrote it that it's similar with these date and these t- times, it's that it just is like, it is, it's shock that we're repeating so much of our history over and over again. And what it also, what also I, I kind of learned in reading your piece and then reading more about the history is, God, there's just been so many wars all the time. It's just, it almost makes you wonder if we've ever functioned on this world without wars. <laughs> it's depressing. Very. Well, it was, a, it was an interesting time in history, too, because Napoleon had really taken French, you know, he was the revolutionary, and he was the one that brought all this increased freedom, and we're moving away from the monarchy, and, and I'm a non-noble, I'm a man of the people. And a lot of the Russians, too, were all like, wow, Napoleon's really going to free us from the monarchy. And we're really so it was a really confusing time because people didn't have this fullness of information or right. or uh, you know and they just, you know they're still sort of so programmed and I suppose in some ways it's still true as well you know to look to other people to lead them uh, and so there a lot of a lot of uh, you know fa- it was fashionable in Russia to speak French and and uh, you know you know war and peace really goes into this really a lot which was my first real deep introduction to kind of approaching this war from a philosophical standpoint rather than just a historical one. Really? From reading War and Peace? Yeah, I, wow. had, uh, I had this job once and they wanted, uh, well, it was a long story, but I ended <laughs> up in Belize. And I had a broken arm and 10 days in Belize, so I sat on the front porch and, um, of this little cabin I rented for eight bucks a night and read uh, War and Peace and nice. lobster burritos. Nice. <laughs> I wouldn't mind breaking my arm and doing that. Oh, yeah. no, There's I don't mean that, There's a lot more to the story, really. but, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, but for Henri, poor little Henri, I mean, he's, uh, he's let's see, somewhere in Russia, en route to Prussia on April 25th in 1812. So he's written now, let's see, so I, I kind of also found it interesting to track how frequently he was able to get to a letter. And I know you were saying it was hard to <laughs> plot all that. But so in, in April, he was able to write more frequently because obviously he isn't really in the, the throes right, right. of and war I, yet. I don't even know if really they, they had any letter writing, tra- you know, letter transportability uh, at all. That's I could totally throw a hole. Okay, so I won't focus on that. But okay, (laughs) so so he's got the you know we got the love for Genevieve, the optimism, the hope, the historical perspectives. So now in this one, in this letter, he's um, he again professes his love uh, for Genevieve, and he talks about a little bit about his friends um, that he has in the war. And so um, I'll read a little bit of the different parts. My sweet Genevieve. When the corporal told, of a, told me of a letter from Paris, I was overjoyed. Ah, to read the first words from you since that morning, which now seems so long ago. I remember you in, da- in a daisy yellow dress, blowing me kisses all the way until, dis- all the way, I guess, until I disappeared. 
me standing atop the carriage till you faded from view. Now I see you in my dreams, and he goes on and on about his love. I don't mean to disrespect your beautiful writing. No, it's really great. It's a great read. But, um, and then he talks about his friends. Oh, but life is so not so bad as we travel. Because he's a non-combat soldier here. He's a cobbler for the soldiers. So I ride in the wagon with Maurice and... Is Eugenio, Eugenio a hockey player? No, actually, he was my neighbor. He owns an Italian restaurant in Olympia mm. called Trinacria. So if you ever threw Olympia, Washington. All right. Eugenio, yeah. What is it yeah. called? Uh, Trinacria. Trinacria. Cash only, reservations, cute family, you know, like real style Italian. Eugenio. So I need, again, I needed a name. Oh, yeah. Italian neighbor, Eugenio. Dane. Oh, by the way, what, what, let's read the website, the URL again. So if any listeners want to follow this story, it's at uncleweed.net. Yeah, yeah. And there's a PDF in the top right-hand corner, I think. Okay. On there, yep. Okay. So he talks about Maurice. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, which hockey player is Maurice? Uh, Maurice Richard, Rocket Richard. Uh, oh, of course. And actually, his brother was Henri Richard, and there were two brothers. They played with Canadians. DJ Anon is a hockey player, believe it or not. Oh, okay, I'm a big go. hockey fan, so. Yeah, that's the Rocket, Rocket Richard. Awesome. Now, now the whole ruse is, is, is broken. Now you know all my secrets. <laughs> I, I haven't listened to hockey since the Bruins, but. Okay, we know we are fortunate and work hard en route. Uh, even en route. The wagon has heavy cloth sides and a canopy to protect our supplies, and we often stop away from most of the other troops, so to enjoy the countryside. I've taken to sketching and using ease watercolors. He paints with oils, but allows me to watch him and my good-natured ramblings. So he, he goes on and he talks a bit about the countryside. And the, What he notes here, though, about the countryside I find interesting because it's his perspective in contrast to his position as a soldier. We move quickly through villages of only a few shops and houses, across fields of wheat, with farmers looking much the same as home. A couple of oxen, a small barn, chickens, vegetables. They look on, deciding how to feel, it seems. Their home and environs are important to them, no matter who sits in power. If it, it, their surroundings and home, more than homeland or king, they would fight for. Let us hope that they are allowed in. Let us hope that they are allowed in peace. We should all be so lucky, all of us, I mean, to have a piece of land that we reap the whole of our labors from, free to exchange our efforts for a result of our choice without encumbrance or malice. I hope this is what our revolution brings to Russia. Ever eternal, no, always H. <laughs> Ever eternally optimistic. Uh-huh. This starts to get into a little bit of, uh, you know, economic theory here, too, you know? Yes, I did note that. There's, there's a hint of John Locke and uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau creeping in at this point. Yeah, there <laughs> is. Um, I forget which I noted it somewhere, but he really sinks his teeth into the economy later. Um, so the May 25th, so now we've gone a month here. Um, we're getting at the end of spring. The incredibly efficient uh, French military postal service is to be commended. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Effort. I was wondering that myself. And, uh, Who is shipping um, them and if anyone is following along, too, there's some, there is some uh, pictures to go along. So if you dig around, you can find a link to it. Because there's a watercolor that, there's like a watercolor. Oh, yeah. The very countryside. Wow, did, so you did those watercolors, too, as you were envisioning this story? Pardon me? Did you do those watercolors, too, as you were envisioning the story? Yeah, yeah. I kind of used them for sort of setting up and thinking about where, where I was at and stuff. Hmm. And so I used a whole bunch of different media, you know, different mediums as I went along through you know, the, the, that summer writing the, the story. So it kind of like a, was a way to sort of 
warm up for doing the letters. Huh. And kind of give an extra layer of expression because I was limiting myself to such a short amount of writing for each thing. Yeah. And, you know, because it's so hard to get a letter away, I thought it's probably more likely to be short, so... Well, in May, and I'll we'll move it along because the thick, the really, because <laughs> I really want to sink into the part where it gets serious. So okay. I don't want to. I <laughs> don't want because the love part's not serious. Yeah, it is. It's totally set up serious. At the beginning. It's and I don't mean to shortchange love. That's for sure. Um, sure. <laughs> but uh, so May twenty fifth, I'll I'll summarize this letter again here. But I hate to take away from the um, prose. But so he talks about the march, and it's been a rainy, rainy day or a few days now and they've been trudging through this um the troops are the troops are grumbling and um they're just you know not comfortable and uh so then he goes from that into uh, a lot about his love for genevieve i'm kidding somewhat but i admit my longing to be entwined with your long white fingers watching your tiny almost round ears bounce as you laugh and he has lots of detail about his um Things that he notices about her um, and her. (laughs) 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 Yeah, did you paint a picture of Genevieve? No, no. That's better to leave it to the imagination. I'm camping landscape. I'm sort of a specialist. (laughs) Yeah, it's always good to leave the imagination for people. So anyway, then he gets in this letter to the details on the march to war. And I wanted to read parts of that. First, I am surprised by the quick pace and progress by which we move across the countryside. The marches are long, but the soldiers and the supply caravans at all seem to move as a single unit with a sort of collective consciousness moving ahead. From my, but to my vantage, it says here, wait a minute, um, yeah, the order, the officers and stuff, and the marshals are giving orders, but to my vantage point, I feel the army would move on its own volition and end up in the same place at about the appointed, same appointed time without any direction. Next, the sheer size of moving this, this many men to do battle elsewhere seems like an unproductive effort considering the expense and effort. I can't help but wonder how this vast number of men will be needed for a battle and how no other option was devised of that uh, to eliminate blah, blah. this parade of lost potential. But the reference to, you know, like seriously, is this the last choice? Is this like the last possible choice we had to march this many people to war? And um, he says that the method of the revolutionary action, however, must be chosen with a sense of what is best for a greater number of people. And with this in mind, we should seek to enter as friends if we hope to benefit from the cost, great cost of lives already expended. So uh, and then thirdly, the brief topic of the wisdom of the blockades of British ports uh, in the. Yeah, that's where you talk about the um, economy and how he's saying, hey, you know what? It's going to make France's economy better because people can't use the other options. But then he kind of says he believes in open trade. Uh, to my observations, I suggest that open trade and good, res- in good results and in increased knowledge, understanding, communication, and trade ultimately resulting in peaceful progressive reform. Blah, wow. Blah. Pretty radical. Yeah, he's a crazy guy. Yep. As ever, Henri. Um, so then... Uh, we actually go into June 24, and now oh, that you use this word that I love, and I don't know how to pronounce, but I know it means um, camp. But you bivouac, bivouac, bivouac. Didn't you know anyone in the what is the art? I've been to a bivouac. I just didn't know how to pronounce it. Really? Mm-hmm. In Sahara. Wow, that's cool. I know. 
God, that's how you say it? That won't stick with me. That's like Oaxaca. It took me years <laughs> to learn how to say Oaxaca. Oaxaca. Bivouac. Bivouac in Oaxaca. I'll remind you every week. Thank you. So, um, let's go bivouac what would you in like the to studio. Say? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a bivouac. What would you say, uh, Dave, to summarize the June 24th letter? Would you, could you summarize that? That's a... Um, there's a lot about diplomacy here and about uh, personal honesty, um, extending up to the highest levels. Um, and, you know, really with how the negotiations went, the historical record of that is Napoleon pretty much went in and made King Alexander of Russia look like a jackass and sort of made him capitulate. And instead of doing that, why don't we go in there and be straight up and honest and not take advantage of people because that's just, that's just not polite. Okay. That's cool. So a, 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 a plea for diplomacy and honestness, I suppose. Okay, that's valiant, I think, for him, especially to tell Genevieve. That's cool. And then in July, a month later... I'm going to read this one. All righty. Okay. Chez Genevieve. Where is he? Uh, He's near Drissa, Russia. Mm -hmm. So um, he's already in Russia here. Mm. Chez Genevieve. Last night at the fire with Eugenio, I asked, where will the battle be? The air was anxiously quiet. Crackling fire and restless horses louder than still air. Here, he said. It cannot be here. This is too peaceful a place for so many to die, I thought. I was wrong. They call them small battles, but I see now the method of war and am awake to the pain and embarrassed by the honor of countries who care so little for their sons that they would ever subject them to this reckless risk of death. This action, which merely counted numbers of units to a general or king, mean the everything for the counted, their families, their childrens, they and we are all victims. Such waste is unforgivable, a moral travesty and make mockery of our, our alleged ability to reason as civ- civilized humans. I fear the killing and the dying. I do not want to kill and go so far, wi- far as to say I am incoherent as to why anyone would, save for the immediate attack to oneself or family. I fear that in this expansionist campaign we may lose our freedoms, both mentally and politically, if even are able to save our lives. Continually yours, H. Well, that last sentence definitely reflects where we're at now. Yeah. An expansionist campaign where we lose our freedoms mentally and politically. So... um, I don't know, Dave, I I picked that he's kind of struggling with the realities of war a little bit more now that he's getting closer to it. He's he's having these conflicts within. Right. And this uh, and and where these battles really happen, you know, especially once we get into Russia is when there's really accurate dates as to when these battles happen. Mm -hmm. So that's when the, the history really had to line up. And I sort of made this as sort of the tipping point in the thing where it was really he saw that that was like. The first time he really saw that the battle just means two teams line up on either side and shooting until they they run out of bullets, you know, or it gets dark out. And right. so, you know, this was sort of the tipping point for him to realize, holy shit, I really am in over my head. And then, boom, April 12th, war begins in Smolensk. Oh, you're right. August 12th. This is the first letter where he's witnessed war from Smolensk, Russia. And this is, as you say, the more historically accurate points, right? Yep, yep. So, um, and uh, we won't read all of this one, but I want to read parts of it. Or if you, if you want to read parts of it, I just want to summarize that. Um, there's some, uh, he kind of details some of the graphic grim realities in describing war to Genevieve. 
um, he starts with, you want me, do you want to do this one? Or? Yeah, go ahead. Chez uh, Genevieve. Frightful days. We pursued the Russians as far as Smolensk, where I witnessed a horrific sight, one hitherto unimaginable to my eyes or mind. The sudden burst of activity coming closer, more focused, and our expressions turning maniacal with fear, resolve, and dare said, bloodlust. Oh, the killing. While I expected, and I thought I had steeled myself for, the battles and the last week since crossing the river, I've seen only incidents I, under, I underestimated we humans' ability for waste and intoler intolerable agony. The brutality stunned me raw and left me an empty sickness, both physically and mentally. My basic human sensibilities were overwhelmed by how humans can even consider, no matter the feud, to resolve to kill if enough others to force submission and an acceptance of terms, a lifetime of dominance, no matter the form. Um... Though he and he says the va it was one point here I thought it was interesting the wide or well put the wide valley filled bodies like milk poured from a pitcher the dying the dying is not gallant nor precise bodies slashed skewered and pummeled into capitulation laid to suffer in muddy earth hoping for horse hooves and errant cannonballs to end their writhing and I just thought that, that was his just brutal reality of what he was what he was seeing there in that letter. Must be disturbing, Genevieve, now. Yeah, I can imagine it would be kind of starting to, to, to freak her out, but he needed someone to talk to. Yeah. And this is, you know, so much of the remembrance of war is, you know, all of it is so gallant, and, you know, there would always sort of be these stories around Remembrance Day that you hear about uh, in World War One. they'd always just say, oh, he died instantly, he died instantly, where really most people died of disease and, and being left alone, and there was no field medics and no hygiene and everything. Wow. slow, agonizing pain that these guys go through. Um, and even in, in modern times. Yeah. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. And where in, and then, you know, where were they bringing them, you know? The, <laughs> yeah. What supplies and resources? a muddy field, you take them to a slightly less muddy part of the <laughs> I field. I know. To, you know. What do you do at that point? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, then in September 8th, they move on to Borodino, Russia. So they're moving f still forward towards Moscow. Is that their path there? Right, right. And this Borodino is a really pivotal point in the whole history of the thing. And this was actually um, the first, um, you know, when I, when I first started the project and laid out all, you know, and all figured out sort of how I was going to construct it, and I said, okay, now I've got to go write letter one, who is Henri and how does this happen? I sort of did a draft of, of letter one, but it was this letter that I really sat down and that um, one afternoon I went on a big long hike and spent it up in the woods and really kind of figured out what this was all going to feel like with this letter. And so this was sort of the first one, and it's the longest one by far of the whole collection. So this was sort of the first one that I really sort of figured out what it was I was going to say and how I was going to say it. So would um, would you mind summarizing the letter and kind of describing? <laughs> is it, you think there's a way to convey um, what it's it gets a little bit political and about his views of a, of a republic. And a lot of this mm -hmm. here gets into... Um, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau and his confessions was a really pivotal um, uh, literary piece during the uh, French Revolution. But I also sort of, uh, during this, reflected back on uh, Plato's Republic and sort of those early underpinnings of, of what constitutes a republic and what a republic can expect from its citizenry, uh -huh. as well as um, moving into um, Henry David Thoreau's Walden and start talking about a little bit about civil disobedience and 
and really the role and the rights of, of the citizen in, in a modern democracy and, and a republic and what happens when the rulers ask too much of the citizens. Right. Yeah, there were some key... Like, with well, a letter, uh, as I read it, sort of, it starts out, he, he starts out describing, again, with the war, which has clearly left him um, disturbed by this, and he says, uh, Comment ça va for me, or chez Genevieve, comment ça va? For me, I am well as I could expect after the carnage I've witnessed the past weeks. But yesterday, the battle went on as waves of men meant death as a flood, a race to escape this uncertainty. We continued further into Russia. The villages burned by the time we arrive. The looters scavenge, scavenge like stray dogs. We meet no one that isn't killed or dying already. The Grand Army of almost 600,000 of just a few weeks ago bears little resemblance to the haggard troops marching today. And then he goes on to say that he wonders even if some of those losses aren't due to desertion, um, how much is due to desertion and sickness rather than just deaths in battle. And, um, and I thought one really, one interesting point was he said that they both sides claim victory, you know, after so many dead. But yeah, he philosophizes about the role of leaders, and um, but he still ends his letter, that letter in September, with dreams of his ideal future. So in his love for Genevieve, so he's still, you know, he's still clinging on internal inside to those hopes and dreams. Right, right. Now, you wrote, the next one here, I couldn't help but notice, I'm sure it's not a coincidence uh, that you didn't know about, September 11th, 1812. Is that a joke? Yeah, and it was kind of hard to avoid, you know, having the double-barreled symbolism with that date, but it just happened to be a date. And uh, when I, um, and I was, as I was sort of sketching out the notes, and I and I came to that, I was like, "Whoa, really?" And sort of <laughs> double double checked it, you know. Yeah. So, well, what do you want to say about this particular um, this one here? I've got my own comments and notes, but I'm curious what you. Well, How you would I, I think really what this is is he starts to see his comrades, um, you know, his his his, fr- his fellow Frenchmen, um, starting to really slide down that that path of, of bloodlust and 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 wildness. Yeah. Um, and you know where the French think you know go in thinking that they're the the, the organized and civil and refined ones. As soon as uh, they get deeper into Russia and they start getting caught up in the in that bloodlust and the and the spoils of of war, and, and really forget their decency. Yeah. As soon as your decency is gone, then you know your whole persona changes. That's what I that's what I felt here. I thought that it was a real. Um, he really commented on the degradation and the depravity that started to, you know, just become so overwhelming everywhere. The overwhelming inhumanity that he was being um, surrounded by, and and but I also. His last paragraph there, he's certainly struggling to maintain his own humanity mm-hmm. and his, you know, his decency. Um, but it's it's really, it sounds like, I'll just even quote a few of the pieces of the letter. Of course, this folly of being strongest and most right fills the armies or else there would be no reason to fight. I thought that was an interesting comment that, you you know, to get people to do that. You've got them. You've got to have them believe that they are the most right in order for you to be able to kill another person, you know. And both sides have to feel that absolute, you know, belief. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a powerful sentence. Yeah, and this was it, this was also interesting because so many wars before and after this were really centered around 
God's more on our side. Mm. And this wasn't really about that. You know, Napoleon was really secular, and it was all about having a secular France. Mm. And the Russians, you know, were conveniently religious when the time came, but uh, it wasn't about, you know, God so much as some previous uh, conflicts in Europe had been. Right, yeah. Huh. We just keep repeating these things over and over. You can just change the the country and redate this <laughs> and reread it. Um, Let, letters from Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> the un, uh, unredacted version. <laughs> um, then in uh, the end of September, they're actually in Moscow, and it's called French Russia. And he writes... Chez uh, Genevieve, um, he st- he comments on his admiration and appreciation and his respect for Maurice, his good friend there, who um, who is just sounds like a really terrific guy, and he just sort of devotes that letter basically to him as a as a you know a real um, role model. Right, and I think really what that was going for is. Um you know, once they were into Moscow and, and, the, and the soldiers and the people started to realize, oh, we're really going to be stuck here and this could get really dicey, uh, you know, people start to cling to small tribal units, so to speak, and the traditional hierarchy started to break down and people, instead of gravitating towards the officer who they're supposed to follow, start, you know, just in, in society, start, people start gravitating towards people who have that that leadership quality, which really is because they know how to treat other people. Right, right. Good point. That's definitely, yeah. Rather, you know, kind of more on the the true leadership rather than the assigned leaders. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were some, well, I'll, I'll go on to the next one. The Leaving Moscow, we're in October 20th now. Are we beginning to see the retreat here? Is this the November retreat yet? I believe it um, this starts... This is where, like, they're really starting to realize that, uh, like, what happens, Napoleon pulled in and, and just no one showed up, right? Everyone had split town, and they're like, sure, have Moscow. Come and get us. We're over here if you want us. And so they didn't really know what to do. And so this is sort of like as things start to degrade and it starts to be every man for himself, and, the, and really the French started just to live like wild animals in Moscow. Yeah. Oh, that did. That just sounded really. The more I read about that, I just can't imagine living. I think. Oh God, I can't imagine what and that yeah, would it have really been becomes like. Becomes like kind of survival instinct. <sighs> yeah. Beyond an animal. So, um, so on the twentieth, he, but he's still near the end there. Um, did you want to read that part? Or are you going to no, do that? Um, on the twentieth, his his letters is still the last half is very much devoted to love for Genevieve. I just, I keep wanting to come back to that because he's clearly, you know, like I say, this is a dialogue between how the love and war is fitting into this guy's life. Um, but then on the the final letter, and this one is really interesting. That's a, well, there's that's one, a, one thing I want to point out on this letter on the 20th and just yeah. to sort of set up the, the, con- the pretext that we talked about in the note to the readers at the very beginning, the very bottom, last sentence here on the, on the letter from the 20th, he says, please bind these letters and store them somewhere. Oh, so yeah, that's in the 20th. One day they will, you know, prevent other things from happening. And then the other thing that I really wanted to uh, point out to this one is, um, is, is giving. And even in his, in his dire moment, he was thinking of ways to help other people who had helped him, in this case, Maurice, because he, he needed to sort of form that alliance because he knew he was leaving and he was going to need someone to keep an eye out for him. 
Yeah, actually, I'm glad that you brought that because I was um, pushing ahead a little too quickly. But yeah, this letter on the 20th, it, it's huge. That last sentence is huge. And I'll read it actually specifically because so, it's the pretext of the entire way the letters were found. But um, yeah, he, he kind of acknowledges in this letter that there's a chance he may not make it back. There's something that has made him write that, you know, he says, Now, my sweet, please do not concern yourself unduly, but in seeing the savagery of death around me for so many months and knowing the inhospitable lands ahead, I must tell you two things and request one of you in the event I am unable to return. To you, please know that no one has ever been loved more by anyone than I love you. Um, And he goes on and he says yeah yeah but it's sweet it is wonderful and then if i do not return to sit with you on the veranda drinking wine in the afternoon please allow yourself to find someone else to spend your glorious days with do not settle and then his last request um is for me please bind these letters and store them somewhere safe in hopes that one day my discourse may help another generation avoid such madness forever yours Henri. And then he writes his last letter. Um, and I'll read it. Yeah. Okay, this one's dated November 27, 1812, near Berezin Bridge, Russia. My sweet Genevieve, it has been a journey of horrific proportions since I last was able to chance a letter. The cold is equaled only by the depravity of desperate humans in its numbing pain. And yesterday, my friend Maurice joined the untold thousands of dead, scattered, abandoned, aside the muddy cart path deep-redded in the frozen earth, littered with wreckage, dead horses, men frozen solid, eyes gaping, boots taken. Many stumble barefoot, roasting frostbitten toads by their final fire. Pillages of war dumped, no weight or relic worthy of any carrying. Golden candlesticks, Persian rugs, objects of decadence, objects of art, holy relics, deserted now. One must survive by wits and cunning, and in that My dear Maurice helped me along so much. He appeared one morning, though there is little difference between night and day and night, just walking and not walking, with a sturdy walking cane for me. He was the one who coaxed me each dreadful day as we trudge into uncertain horizons. Oh, the peace he feels now, free of this madness. As I sit looking down from the hilltop, watching as thousands fall dead, by bullet, by Cossack sword, or pushed into the icy river with the mob pushing across. For me, there is little chance of me making my way across the bridge, not alone, not without help from my friend. Surely, when the officers have crossed, the bridge will be destroyed like so many broken dreams, leaving the Russians and French separated as we began. I will not rush to death. Rather, for me, I will have the courage to determine my own fate, to strive purposefully and resolutely, free of heart, clean of conscience, ruling only by sovereign, sovereign self, my sovereign self. For you... For the days we miss together and the years in which we will never part, I will find a way to survive. For the thousands of dead faces I have seen, and for Maurice, I renounce this war, but pledge that I will not let this tragic madness defeat me. My dear Genevieve, look for me in the spring. My return will be later than hoped. With love, freedom, and conviction, Henri. Oh, wow. Uh, That's quite a story. And very... You really communicated the, the to me the place and you know. But there's this last piece you have the declaration. Can yeah. you explain that? What was that? What is that exactly? What was that role like? Is that something to just sort of? Well, ha- can you explain it? 
um, it's, I felt it, it just sort of needed one last, and I don't know really where it came from, just hearing that last, hearing you read that last letter, it totally took me back to where I was writing it, and it was really hard to write, you know, because, yeah. uh, as this journey went on, and I would go out for each of these walks and really get myself in the character, um, and I was sitting up on this uh, mountain on the Oregon coast, and and uh, and I and it just sort of felt right to write that. I didn't really know how it felt fit into the letter, and so I just I just wrote it and put it there, and and didn't really think about why. But it mm-hmm. was just something that came out. And it really sort of summarizes his whole personal you know, uh, Satori out of the, out of the whole experience, I think. It sounds a little bit to me like he's kind of got his narrative ending. It's not in a letter format, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, you're left, you know, there's the legend in the beginning that says, oh, he went back to Genevieve, but then, you know, I wasn't convinced. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't. His odds, the odds were against him, really. Um, and so... And I almost thought that this was something that he had written down to himself to keep his own sanity. Yeah. To, to have kind of like a little mantra to kind of keep himself from cracking or to exactly. go, going down to those other people to to, yeah. to the level that he's seen from other people. Yeah. You know, I just sort of felt like in his own heart, he, he just couldn't believe the situation he really has found himself in by the end of November. It was just really, it was just really um, great. A really good read. Um, and I want to thank you for letting us read that and sharing it and then also being on the air with us to discuss it. It really fills it out. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really uh, enjoy that you've taken an interest in it. It was a lot of fun for me to create and, and really bring these, these letters to life. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real treat for me as well. Thank you. Yeah, I bet you were surprised. There's a radio show on letter writing, huh? And you're like, what the heck? How'd oh, you no, find this? No, it totally this? makes sense. I'm a total, I've traveled all over the world and spent a lot of time um, curled up with letters, and I and I still and I still send snail mail, and I love collecting neat paper to do it on and, and finding <laughs> the right stance for it. So, you have a kindred spirit in me. Yeah, hey, that's our kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, you can send us a postcard anytime. Let me give you the address in case you want to drop us a line. We'll read your postcard on the air. Maybe oh, it'll totally. be from Henri. Who knows? From uh, <laughs> the dead. Yeah, but you can send it to PO Box seven five zero seven, Santa Cruz, California. Nine five oh six one. So you know that song I was talking about? Yeah. This is why it's so appropriate. This story fits so well. Okay. This is a song that I love and I heard and um I I've known the words but I never sat down and thought about it. And okay, I'm gonna give you what this sto- song is about. Um it, I'm not gonna give away the name of it yet. But um By the way, DJ Snail Mail has kept me in suspense for weeks about this song. <laughs> yeah, I hope she likes it. Anyway, it uh, chronicles a wife's desire to test her husband's loyalty. So I'm kind of thinking of this as like, suppose Hon- Henri and Genevieve did get together and they got married and they're like, 50 years later or 40 years later, uh, Genevieve's like, yeah, is he still going to go for me? And so she takes on the nom de plume of Babushka and writes to her husband in the guise of a young, seductive woman, something which she fears is the opposite of how her husband currently sees her. And so 
the trap is set when in her bitterness and paranoia, Babushka arranges to meet with her husband, who is attracted to the character that reminds him of his wife in earlier times. And she thereby ruins the relationship due to her own paranoia. And uh, so with that... I would like to also let you know that babushka is the Russian word for grandmother. And it, it is never, um, actually, I read elsewhere that it's, um, in in Russian, they only refer to it as like a bamba- uh, bandana. It's never, wait, is it the opposite? I don't know. It's on Google. Look it up. But the more thing is, here comes the song. You guys ready for this? Yeah. yeah. All right. Let me push the buttons. I love it. Do you recognize it yet? I can't hear it. Really? <laughs> can't hear it. Oh, because you're... Well, I'm going to play it. You'll hear the MP3. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Thank you very much. Take care and finish You too. She wanted to test her husband. She knew exactly what to do. A pseudonym to fool him. She couldn't have made a worst move She sent him scented letters And he received them with a strange delight Just like his wife But how she was before the tears And how she was before the years flew by And how she was when she was beautiful 